Hello everybody and welcome to episode 6 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that knows nothing about swing planes but does talk about the stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray and today myself and Jeff Shackelford bring you a very special interview with a man who's going to need to get used to the spotlight over the next four years. You might recall a few weeks ago, while the eyes of the golf world were firmly fixed on Florida, the World Golf Championships, and Tiger's Achilles tendon, one of the biggest golf course design announcements in history was made. Gil Hands proclaimed the winner of a design competition to lay out the course for golf's return at the 2016 Olympic Games. Some of the biggest names in golf were in the mix for this project, including the formidable teams of Jack Nicholas and Annika Sorenstam and Greg Norman and Lorena Ochoa. But it was Hans, a member of that group of modern ar- architects labelled minimalist, who apparently best met the design brief. Myself and Jeff caught up with a very busy Gil Hands at very short notice, it must be said, last week. And I started the interview by suggesting to Gil that this project would attract a lot more scrutiny than anything his firm has done before. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. Um, you know, and it's constantly being pointed out to us, <laughs> which is, um, you know, which we understand fully. And, and it's a, um, you know, one of the things that Jim Wagner, my design partner, and I have talked an awful lot about is, um, you know, we understand that there's going to be pressure and, and, and extra scrutiny, but we just, you know, there's a reason we were selected, and there's a reason when we put the presentation together, we wanted to, uh, you know, continue to do what we do best and and what people have recognized as as positive things we do. And so, from that standpoint, we want to make sure that we don't lose sight of that, that we we don't get down to Rio and then start to do <clears throat> too many extra things. You know, throw in this, throw in that. Let's just really stick to the fundamentals of of what we believe in. And, and what we've done in the past. And, and I think that, that will serve us well when we have to deal with the pressure. You know, I mean, our, our good friend Bill Coor, uh, he always talks about restraint in architecture and how that's a trait that's learned over a long period of time. Um, you know, most architects, when they get a significant assignment, they want to throw everything in the kitchen sink against it. And, uh, most of the time that doesn't work. It, it doesn't yield the best possible golf course. So from our standpoint, we just need to not succumb to the pressure, uh, show some restraint, and really just uh, kind of do what we've always done. Gil, were you aware of all those things as you go into it? I imagine your initial reaction straight away as a course designer, there's an Olympic golf course to be designed. You think, right, I've got my hand up. I want to be a part of that. Uh, but as you say, some of those dangers you're talking about where it changes your own mindset. I imagine you would have had to have been wary about that whilst you were going through the process. Not like a lot of other golf course developments, this one, is it? There was a very um, real selection sort of process, wasn't there? And there's always the danger that you start thinking, oh, gee, have we done enough here? Have we done enough there? Did you go through any of that? And did you end up just throwing your hands up and saying, let's do what we normally do? Or was it right from the start, that's what you were going to present and may the best man win? Um, at, at the start, uh, Jim and I discussed, you know, do we need to do anything extra? You know, you've got all the top names in architecture and, and, and in golf competing for this, and we were obviously uh, perhaps the lowest on the totem pole with respect to name recognition, so we, we looked at it as do we need to distinguish ourselves from the crowd and what do we need to do to accomplish that? And And as we started to go down that path, we both sort of took a deep breath and said, no, that's... It's really not what how how we're going to be successful at this is just stay true to our beliefs and and our beliefs are 
you know, we're, we're classified as minimalists, uh, you know, which we're happy to be part of that. Um, we, we believe in trying to create natural looking golf courses, but I think that the thing that that's always been distinctive about what we do and, and what Bill and Ben do and Tom Doak and, 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 you know, Mike Clayton, et cetera, it, we're, we're design build that philosophy. I don't think gets enough attention and enough credit that, you know, we're there in the field. We're making these decisions. You know, having Jeff Shackelford involved with us at, at Rustic Canyon and Los Angeles Country Club, amongst other projects, you know, gave us the opportunity to to change, adapt, create, and improve the design in the field. And I think that that's really the methodology that that set us apart. You know, aside from Tom Doak, none of the other architects really practiced that way. So. Looking at the layout, the design, we knew there were requirements that they were going to have spatially, uh, competition-wise. There were things that we needed to accommodate. But at the end of the day, once we were able to figure out how best to arrange the site, it was our goal to design a course as if you know we were designing it for any other client. And then in the presentation to focus on you know, that design build aspect and how that could yield, you know, the, the best possible golf course. You mentioned, Gil, uh, yeah, sorry, Jeff, uh, go ahead. Uh, just, I'm curious on that topic. Do you feel like they, uh, the, the committee has a good sense that you, you know, you've done a plan and you have bunkers and you have holes where you think they're going to go, but that, uh, they're going to be okay with you modifying that as you go. They're not, they're not, uh, hooked on, on the plan that you, that ended up being the winning, uh, submission? You know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I've mentioned in, in some of the press conferences that you know, we're willing to take a look at, at the other designs and haven't done so yet. We haven't been provided with them. But when we do, you know, I think there may be good ideas out there that some of the other architects had, and we'll be happy to sit down and talk with them if they're willing to, to share their thoughts behind some of the ideas. And, you know, we're really looking to improve the golf course, and I haven't heard any feedback either from the technical advisors or from Rio saying, no, no, we don't want you to talk to them. We don't want you to change the well, ideas, et cetera. So I think that if they're willing to give us some flexibility in that regard, we're hopeful that that flexibility will continue throughout the entire process. And we we articulated that pretty clearly in the presentation that that's our methodology. And And I know that all of the golf people in the room heard that loud and clear and understand and I think respect how we approach things, whether the the non golfing entities or the non golf they're not golf savvy, whether they're going to hold us to a little bit more rigid structure, that I don't know. We haven't gotten that far down the road. Well, they won't have a choice in the matter because I know how you work. <laughs> You're going to build the best hole possible, and and uh, you know that's. I'm sure they'll figure it out, though. I, I really, I, I think so. To... We'll just we'll turn the plans upside down if they see it this way. Bit, bit tough to jump horses midstream with this one too. I suspect that it has to be open by a certain date, so they're going to have to let you get on with it. Gil, were you surprised? A lot of people were surprised that you got the job. I don't mean that in a bad way. A lot of people were very pleasantly no. surprised that you got the job. But were you surprised? Did you genuinely think you had a chance when you first lined up? I mean, you, you mentioned some of the big guns there. Nicholas is the one that obviously stands out, you know, the most iconic figure in golf, particularly to a non-golf market, and there were several non-golfers involved in this decision. You would think that name might have a fair bit of sway. Were you surprised when you got the gig? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we were I used the word stunned, uh, you know, humbled, honored, all those sorts of things. Um, 
yeah, you never know going into it what what factors are at play, and you you always hoped that they were going to listen you know, to each of the proposals and and really base their decision on whoever gave the best presentation. And and when we left um, Brazil, we we had a three pronged presentation. Basically, Amy Alcott was part of our team, and she talked about the legacy of the game. And, and, you know, sort of kids growing up in Brazil, growing the game, the academy, et cetera, et cetera, and, and was, was terrific. And uh, then Owen Larkin, who is our environmental partner on the project, he talked about the environmental sustainability piece and how important that was to the Brazilians as far as the legacy and how important it is to golf in general. I mean, if you're talking about building golf courses in developing countries, you're not going to have the resources that we have in the United States or Australia or wherever. Some say we might waste those resources. We used, we used, we used to have guilt. <laughs> the resources yeah, right. we used to have. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so from that standpoint, you know, that was an important factor. And then, then I talked about the, the design and build end of it, the philosophy that basically talked more about our beliefs of golf course architecture. I mean, it could have stood up there and said, you know, okay, the first hole dog legs left and gone through each hole, but, felt like you know what they were they can read the plan let's really tell them what we believe about golf course architecture and what we believe about golf and when we walked out of the room i just felt like we really nailed the presentation i didn't you know you just get that sense that okay there are no regrets here there's you know nothing looking back on oh we forgot to talk about that or oh we should have highlighted this we really felt like we did a good job and um so when when we were finished I would have been less surprised that we that we would eventually get the the bid, um, but when we actually got the phone call, yeah, uh, we were we were surprised. Have you ever been through a, pro, uh, a selection process like that, Gil? It is it's an unusual way to choose somebody to design a golf course, isn't it? There's a whole lot more at play here politically, uh, not 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 just because of the way the process was set, but because of the event that it is. I mean, there's an awful lot more masters to please with something like this, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, it was um, as complex a process as we've ever been through, and I'm sure that you know, if you asked all eight of us, that would probably be the case. It was very thorough. Uh, there were a lot of requirements for you know a project that you know obviously only one of the eight of us was going to get. So there was you know whatever the odds are against that. So you really had to weigh whether you're able to give it the full commitment, and I know there are probably a lot of golf architects out there who didn't bother to even submit because of, of the requirements that went into it. So, well, there's no money in it either, is there, Gil? I mean, it's a set fee. You're not going to make a fortune out of it, are you? No, no. I think ultimately the financial rewards will come somewhere down the road if we if we do the job that we expect we will. Mm. Um, so you're right. No, this, this job is... You know, it's 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 adequate pay to keep us moving forward, and and uh, but it no, you know, nobody's getting rich. You're not you're not doing it for the money, Shaq. I wanted to come to you, and Gil touched on this. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Of course, the whole design uh, selection process and whatnot for the Olympics it was all reasonably public, and there was lots and lots of talk about it. When Gil was chosen, as I said, there were a lot of people who were pleasantly surprised. It seems to me that some it's kind of been a little bit overlooked. The potential impact that this selection could have on the game generally, not just in developing countries, but generally uh, as we go forward, much as I hate the term, could be really important, couldn't it? Had they selected, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but had they just gone with the easy choice Jack Nicholas and got a Jack Nicholas golf course, uh, there probably wouldn't have been a whole lot of impact as far as the game goes. This is potentially a really important decision in the long term for the game, is it not? 
It, it is, and um, that is why I always believe Gil had a great chance. I, I actually, uh, a lot of people, I think, ignored what the uh, International Golf Federation and um, uh, and the people in Rio stated beforehand what they were looking for, and I actually believe them um, and believe they were sincere, knowing a little bit about uh, having read about Rio's culture uh, and their interest in sustainability, their way ahead of uh, us in the United States, certainly when it comes to seeing the um, the environmental and economic benefits, and then just knowing um, some of the people involved, uh, Ty Vota and Peter Dawson, knowing the kind of golf they like, and uh, that they understand what a uh, certain kind of golf course can do in terms of an impression it'll have on people uh, when they turn on the Olympic golf uh, or when they go to Rio and go to play the course. So people would kind of roll their eyes all along and just say, oh, Jack and Annika are a lock. And I, I to be honest, I believed all along they were um, uh, sort of in the uh, kind of bottom tier of the candidates just for this very reason. I really believed it was going to be uh, Gill or Tom Doak or maybe Robert Trent Jones, somebody uh, up there who's trying to do some things uh, differently and to try and make the right impression because they they made it very clear from the beginning that that this is uh, not just about the actual golf for those two weeks um, or or not even just for that academy and, and some of the things that uh, we're talking about, but also for the impression they, they want to leave on the rest of the world. Gil, I, I touched on the politics of it earlier, and I, I imagine this will be an ongoing thorn in the side. There's going to be an awful lot of people to try and please, and there are many of them not from the golf world. Have you sort of set yourself a plan of how you might deal with some of those issues as they come up? Have you, have you employed a PR person or a spin person or someone to help you with that? Because this is going to be very different, I suspect, to your average golf course project. Uh, it will be. You know, I, I we've not hired anybody for the, for the project in particular, you know, for when we're actually building it. We have... Brought on a good friend, Tommy Nakarado, to handle some of the inquiries right now to uh, get through them and help us. To, so you know, we still have, a, fortunately, have a lot of work on the plate right now that we're having to deal with. So it's it's been nice to have him handle a lot of those issues. But you know, we really we're, we're not even that far into the process. Uh, you know, I haven't been back down to Rio yet, so I think more of that will become clear. I'm I'm probably being very naive when it comes to you know what what the requirements will be, but. My hope is that you know, once we start building the golf course, we'll be able to you know just forge on and and, and get things going uh, without having to deal with you know uh, who knows what levels of of um, uh, politics that we'll have to deal with. Politics. And- hey, uh, Gil, have have you uh, heard from any of the other uh, architects who you competed against? We <laughs> um, have um, some of them directly. Um, you know, uh, Martin Hawtrey and, and uh, Bruce Charlton with uh, Robert Trent Jones uh, sent me very, very nice, uh, wonderful emails. Um, and, and Greg Norman actually called, um, which, you know, said an awful lot to me that he made a personal phone call. We chatted for about five minutes. He was very gracious and, 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 mm. and uh, very nice. And uh, I know a lot of the others have uh, put out press releases um, but have not, you know, contacted us directly. Yeah, the Sharks always no. been great in defeat, Gil. Always been gracious in defeat. The yeah, shark. Some, that, that is pretty impressive <laughs> that he would do that. Uh, yeah. All right. I, I let, more importantly, let I don't think a lot of people know it. Brad Klein wrote about it uh, in Golf Week, uh, and I know you don't really want to relive this that much, but you you have to just give us some idea 
how close it came to you not even being able to make the presentation. Well, you know, thankness for uh, the U.S. passport agency and uh, for American Airlines actually uh, doing their jobs and performing at, at top notch. But uh, Rod, I lost my passport. Uh, or discovered that it was lost. Uh, I was leaving, uh, going to fly down to Brazil on Sunday night for a presentation on Tuesday, so I would arrive on Monday, have plenty of time to get acclimated, etc. And on Sunday afternoon, on getting ready to go to the airport, I realized my passport was gone. Oh no! Um, <laughs> went through all the stages of panic and and uh, trying to figure out what happened, and eventually got to problem solving mode. And and long story short, I, I changed my flight to Monday night. Um, was in, I got up at 4.30, drove up to New York, stood in line outside. It was freezing cold. I got my passport, um, secured my Brazilian visa all within like four or five hours. I uh, got on a flight on Monday night, arrived at 10 a.m. in Rio, was at the hotel by 11.30 for a two o'clock two presentation. Goodness, man. <laughs> so it was, it was crazy hectic. But, you know, in, in a way it was um, all of my attention and nervousness, stress, whatever was related to just getting there. So when it was time to <laughs> deliver the presentation, it was a piece uh, of cake. <laughs> a, a welcome change wow. from what you uh, what yeah. you, you You might be the only person ever to have said or who will ever say, Gil, thank God for the U.S. Passport Service and American Airlines. <laughs> I'm not sure those words have ever been uttered before, and I'm not sure they'll ever I be uttered you again. What, we, you know, we make fun of, uh, I'm sure they do in Australia as well, but, you know, our, our public servants and, and our government workers, but that the New York Passport Agency was very efficient and very thorough, and the young woman who helped me out was extremely compassionate to my plight, and it was just, uh, it couldn't have gone any better. Did, did you need to say, don't you know who I am? This is why I have to get to Rio. Don't <laughs> no, we hadn't, we hadn't gotten the commission yet, maybe yes. after. <laughs> well, of course, Gil, this is something I did want to ask you about. You would never have had anywhere near this sort of attention, particularly press attention, public attention. How have you found that? I mean, of course, it's only taken you 20-odd years to become an overnight star. You've had both this project and, of course, right around the same time, uh, Donald Trump engages you to work on the, the Blue Monster course of Durrell, which always brings plenty of attention. How are you dealing with all of that? Um, you know, we were able to get through it. It's funny, uh, our daughter, our oldest daughter, Chelsea, was quoted in one of the magazines saying, I, I, I know he's very excited, but I don't think he's loving all of the attention. And, uh, <laughs> You know, that's just never been our, uh, it's not been our modus operandi. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Are we thrilled that, that we've been selected for two very prominent projects and the fact that they both, you know, were in the, in the spotlight over a two or three day period is, was almost overwhelming. But, um, you know, it, 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 the, the nicest thing has been the reaction from friends and family. I mean, I've, you know, had hundreds and hundreds of emails, texts, et cetera, and, and I'm slowly but surely trying to get back to everybody on these. And I mean, the outpouring of support and just genuine happiness um, from from so many people, people I haven't heard from in years, et cetera. It's just that's been probably the coolest aspect of this, even with all of the public attention. This private attention has been been very rewarding. It's uh, that's nice to hear. I reckon there was uh, an hour there, Shaq, where, I, where Gil got more press than Tiger Woods. It was only an hour, but I reckon for an hour. Oh, but it, it was uh, here. The Golf Channel was all over it. Yeah. They, had, uh, they had live coverage of the uh, press conference and all sorts of great stuff. It was phenomenal. Uh, Gil, I, I, the one thing that I keep getting, the question I keep hearing from people, 
is they say, well, what's the site like? That's that's the number one question that you know they say they're excited for you, and then they say, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, is it any good? And and most of them kind of think it doesn't sound that appealing. But um, maybe you could describe a little bit about uh, the site because it it looks to me like it's got lots of potential to be really interesting. It's got sand. It's got an interesting uh, location and some water. Um, is it a good site? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, anytime you have sand, you know, I think that automatically makes it a good site. Um, you know, while the topography and the elevation changes aren't dramatic, um, there there's enough there, and there's certainly enough elevation that we can create and 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 make some what we believe will be interesting golf holes. There's also a um, an existing dune structure that has been untouched on a portion of the property that is absolutely gorgeous. The vegetation is perfect. The, scale of the dune is beautiful, the exposed sand, et cetera. So that will be our model for trying to um, you know, put some of the site back in place. And while I don't believe there'll be enough elevation to actually get a glimpse of the ocean, um, you, you certainly can hear the surf and you can smell the salt air. So it'll have some of those characteristics. So I think the combination of sand, um, you know, the opportunity, the presentation we've already made shows an awful lot of creativity with um, the contours that we're hoping to create. So I think from that standpoint, we'll, we'll have some flexibility and then just, you know, the proximity to the ocean is, is going to be terrific. Now, I, I made a, a comment in the prayer conference uh, about, you know, sort of the sand belt courses and um, in, <laughs> in Australia being a very sort of will be our model. And, and I've never been there. So Jim Wagner and I are planning to go to Australia sometime this summer. Uh, to, to look and study and learn. Um, and I've seen all the photographs you took last last fall when you were there and, um, you know, the books, et cetera. Just the vegetation, the scale of it, the the exposed sand, uh, the native grasses, I think from from everything I can tell, that's, that's what we're hoping the golf course will be reminiscent of. Shaq thinks it's too green, though, Gil. Don't fall for that mistake. Too green to see that. Well, I was there in the spring. It was it was it looks a lot better now. If you watch yeah. the the women at Royal Melbourne, it's yeah. it's burned out. I think Gil would have would have agreed with yeah. me. It, it was it was it was a tad lush for for a place that's supposed to be so sandy. And I know it's kind of burned out now, but um, it's it really is a great place. You'll love it, and it's uh, it'll give you so many ideas. I'm sure. One of the nice things about the, the you know the Olympic the competition will be in their winter even though it's the summer games, and that's the driest time of the year. And, and huh. the temperatures are, are really very, very moderate at that point in time, so we're hopeful you know, that we'll be able to sort of push for a very firm and fast um, you know, surface down there. Well, I was going to and ask you about the golf course itself, Gil. What do you sort of have in mind? Obviously, you can't... You're caught in a bit of a rock and a hard place. You want to design a golf course that's going to host the Olympics and going to look good and challenge the players and do all that sort of stuff. Within that, you've got a very wide range of playing capabilities there'll be people representing their country there who probably wouldn't get a start on professional tours in a lot of parts of the world so there's that to take into account then the golf course has to be something possibly somewhat different for for time immemorial after that what do you have in mind what sort of golf would you like the world to see on your course at the olympics what's going to confront the tigers and the jeff ogilvies and the the phil mickelsons when they get there you know, uh, we've always been intrigued with with short grass as a, as a hazard, and you know, I don't mean literally as a hazard because obviously within the rules of the game, it's not. But just sort of runoff areas and, and um, you know, some of Mackenzie's mounding 
that he used in and around greens, um, you know, on all of his golf courses. So that if you find yourself on the wrong side of a of a of a tightly mown area with a slope feeding away from you and a and a pin that's tucked into that area, you know, those are very challenging shots for a professional to get close. But for the average guy or gal, they can have a putt at it, get it on the green, probably take two more whacks and, and keep moving on. So I think what we're hopeful is to create some very interesting contours to create, um, you know, Jeff worked with us and, and really taught us an awful lot about George Thomas and his thought process on courses within a course and, and the opportunity to, you know, create greens where we can have some very interesting hole locations that may only ever be used for the Olympics. Um, or for you know because they have a pre- put, place of premium on positioning off the tee to get a proper angle to get at these whole locations, yet still give a big enough green that when the course is switched over to legacy mode, you know they can basically put the pins anywhere in the middle sections of the green. So, so it's our goal to build you know a, almost a green centric golf course where where the the whole locations, the surrounding contours, um, tightly mown areas will make it relevant for placement uh, for those guys to really try and score, yet we'll have plenty of width and plenty of opportunities for recovery that most average golfers can, can take advantage of. It all sounds so simple and good. You mentioned that you haven't been to the sand belt, though that's what you have in your mind's eye as an influence for the site. Where does your influence, your design influences come from? What are the courses that you sort of look up to and, 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 and try to model your own work on? What sort of courses are we talking about? Yeah, I think the old courses, you know, any architect worth his salt is going to, is going to mention that just for the, you know, the myriad ways it can be played and the conditions and how they dictate and just the random nature of the, the ground contours and the scale, <clears throat> the shared fairways, you know, the, the different options, the flexibility and the way you can play that golf course, uh, you know, that would uh, be the, the top model. I think from an aesthetic standpoint, Pine Valley has always resonated with Jim Wagner and I, you know, just the look of that very natural sort of rugged appearance. And, and you know, I've mentioned it already a couple of times, you know, L.A. Country Club, working on the north golf course um, there, I mean, Thomas was a genius. The way he laid out that course and the thought process that he employed was so far advanced over what anybody is even thinking in this day and age. And I think, you know, we are, Jim, Jeff, and I are all better architects because of the time we were able to spend at Los Angeles Country Club learning and absorbing those different, sometimes eccentric thought processes, most of the time very nuts and bolts but so detail oriented and and if we can sort of take that experience and 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 have it help us down in rio i think you know the the timing of that we did la just a couple of years ago is really going to be helpful to us uh gil you mentioned the old course uh i on the plan i wrote a little item for golf world monday and i called the 16th hole uh sort of a ten of riviera meets the road hole and you've you've got a it looks like a, a boundary in play on 15 and 16. But then on 18, you kind of go along the boundary line also, but you, you, it doesn't look like you hug the boundary and bring that in strategically. Um, can you talk about those holes and in incorporating the boundaries in sort of an old course way? And also, uh, that 18th hole, was that, was that something intentional not to bring it in play because you didn't, you didn't want that to uh, maybe impact the conclusion of the Olympics? 
Yeah, I think you're very observant because <laughs> we haven't even discussed this. But yeah, um, and the other thing that 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 happens on that site is that the wind generally blows, um, as you're looking at the plan, blows from the right to the left. So the boundary being on the left side, you know, the wind will be taking balls towards that boundary. So mm. in order to get the proper angles. Uh, to play 16, uh, you know, depending on hole location, because I think we've built some flexibility into the green, or at least conceptually have, um, you know, you're probably going to want it. You're going to have to decide what shape you're going to be able to use based on your game to get it close to that left side. And then, you know, 15 also, we can put some hole locations on the far left of the green with the wind blowing across the way. I think could could present some challenges. And with respect to 18, yes, it was it was sort of a concession result really want that difficulty uh you know we want to let the players really have a rip at it on 18 but there are also practical considerations i mean you've got it's the 18th hole you need room for grandstands and galleries etc and you know hospitality <clears throat> so we needed to create some space along that border uh in order to fit some of the practical considerations that'll come in with the olympics and you know that's something that that we haven't really we've only scratched the surface on with them but you know when you think about the 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 tournament aspects of it and security aspects of mm. it, the, you know, that's a learning curve that we're really going to have yeah. to take on as, as we get further into this. Yeah, well, security, especially uh, just for the President's Cup. I remember talking to uh, Matt Kaminsky about the security down at the President's Cup there, Shaq, and what a uh, what a remarkable thing that yeah. was just trying to uh, trying to run it at the Olympics would be like that on steroids. Gil, one of the things that seems to me that's been overlooked through the whole process and all the talk about it, and you mentioned her earlier, Amy Alcott. Um, tell me a bit about her input into it, because of course the women are playing in the Olympics as well. And we all, I suppose, it's a it's a bad mistake. We all just sort of think about you know high level golf. We think about men's golf, but of course there's going to be a women's competition as well. What sort of input has Amy had, and what sort of thoughts have you got about how you blend uh, you designing a course for a championship for both men and women? I'm guessing they'll play off different tees. Yes, they will. But you know, then you get into you know, similar thought process of, of strategies, you know, where are the ladies landing, you know, where are the men, where are those landing areas? You have to obviously think about wear and tear on the golf course. I mean, if you have a collection of two tournaments and the divots and stuff, you know, while that's not the overriding concern, that is a practical consideration you need to think about. You'll hear about um, it from the you... touring pros, I can assure you. <laughs> you know, there's too many <laughs> sure divots on the yeah. fairway, you'll hear about it. <laughs> so I think, you know, we have to think about different, again, if, we, if we're creative enough in the process we can almost create greens where we could you know even before the tournament work with the setup people to say hey all right the four pins for the men's competition are, are in these general areas and the four pins for the women's competition are in these general areas and, and the strategies attendant to each of those you know perhaps the course sets up like this so you know the, that'll be in the thought process as we design i wouldn't say we'll be be slaves to those you know those strategies but i think it would be nice to at least think through that as, as we go about it but amy has been um you know she's been very helpful with respects to talking about you know how the the top level women play the golf course um you know we will talk we talked an awful lot about tees and length of holes as we were going through the process i mean jim jim and i pretty much worked up the routing independent and then we we came to her and talked about sort of how this whole thing could fit in and we did ask her conceptually if you could 
you know, map out a, a finishing sequence, what would it be? And it was very similar to, to what we what we ultimately came up with. So I think from that standpoint, you know, she, she's going to be very helpful. She'll make a few visits down there during construction. And, and, and Jeff knows this as well as, you know, one of the things, the criteria for Jim and I is that we just, we want to work with people that we have fun with. I mean, if, if you're working with people that you're not having a good time, um, then it just gets to be a bit of a drag. And, you know, it, it, I think that shows in the work. If there's stress between different aspects of the team or different personnel, then I think that comes out in the work. And so Amy is just such a, a fun-loving, nice person to be around. And so there was a fit on that level, which was almost as important to her credentials as a Hall of Fame golfer, is that we felt like, you know, we can be creative with her, we can have fun as we as we go through the process. And how did that relationship come about, Gil? Did you approach her? Was Did somebody suggest you should approach her? How did you, I mean, I, I know most of the designers tried to get one, one of the, uh, a well-known woman golfer on board uh, as part of the project. How did you come to, to work with Amy? It was um, through L.A. Country Club. She came over a couple times while we were building because she lives in L.A., um, showed, you know, declared an interest in architecture. We chatted a little bit while, while she was out there. And then as, as it became apparent, as you mentioned, that a lot of the, the uh, architects were pairing up with, with female golfers, um, she was the one who first came to mind, and, and we we discussed it with her. And you know, to her credit, you know, one of the criteria that Jim and I sat down was: listen, we don't want to we don't want this to appear like we're doing this because everybody else is doing it. The token and, thing, and, yeah. as a, and, and because of that, sorry, um, you know, we we wanted to make sure that she was comfortable, sort of taking a, a, a playing a, a lesser role from a name recognition standpoint because yeah and, and to her credit she said yeah she said listen I, I'm, I'm eager to be part of this team I think I can contribute to it but I also realize I have a lot to learn and and if if you think meaning Jim and I think that that's the best way to put this whole thing together she was willing to um, to, to play along with with that setup which you know all credit to her yeah because it, it, it did look a bit uh, tokenistic. I don't know if, that, know if that's a word, Shaq, but I think you know the point I mean. It did look a bit sort of token inclusion, wasn't it? I mean, Greg Norman paired up with Lorena Ochoa, Jack went with Annika Sonstam, Kari Webb was brought on board 10 minutes before the presentation, if I recall. Yeah, it it was, just about. It, it had that feel about it, didn't it? It, it did, and I, you know, I, I talking to some people, uh, the the way uh, Gil and, and Amy kind of, uh, to her credit, stayed, uh, you know, wasn't offended that her name wasn't out there, you know, it wasn't Hanson Alcott, and, and she that didn't bother her, and I, talking to some people, I think I think ultimately the the, the forced pairings may have backfired a little bit on on uh, Jack and Annika and, and Norman and, and uh, uh, Ochoa. It just it it almost felt like the whole thing was a little too uh, perfectly packaged to some people, and um, and and I think that's uh, it, I don't think that's an inaccurate uh, way to view it. I, I do think it was a packaging move and. Um, but I mean, every architect put together elements to their presentation, obviously that that uh, were meant to try and excite the uh, the jury panel. Um, but that that felt they had plenty of star power, and it just felt like uh, they were kind of banking on that more. And the at least from from talking to to some people, the the uh, the substance wasn't quite there with the presentations and. Um, and and thankfully, and 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 kind of an unusual thing in our world, uh, the the substance uh, won over in this case, which is really uh, really neat. Well, particularly with and, the Olympics. Sorry, Gil. 
Another thing I was going to say, Rod, uh, you know, Jeff knows that just by nature I tend to be very collaborative. I mean, we've worked with, with, with Jeff frequently. We've worked with Mark Parson in at, at Castle Stewart, Brad Faxon at TPC Boston. You know, Jim and I are, are happy to be, <clears throat> have team members and certainly to give credit to those team members. So I think it was a natural thing for us to bring Amy into the, to the project. So, and I think, as Jeff just pointed out, it didn't feel forced. I think the, the, the committee, you know, they were, they, they felt like there was a nice flow to, the, to what we were all bringing to the table. From my limited experience of the others that you're up competing against in this guild, you'd have by far, certainly from my limited contact so far today, the smallest ego amongst all of them. <laughs> how, did you, uh, how did you become successful as a golf course architect? Don't you need to be chest-thumping on the best, this is the way to build golf courses? How have you managed to pull this off and be a nice bloke while you're about it? Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, we've, we've always said about our way of just trying to let the work speak for us as opposed to us speaking for, about it. And I think, you know, that mindset is something that Jim and I have, you know, we've bought in on that from day one is let's, let's just do good work. Eventually somebody will pay attention. They'll, they'll figure out. And, and I think, you know, sort of in the background, there are a lot of people that over the years have appreciated all the effort that, that we've all made to what we do and um but it was very quiet you know because we weren't out there beating the drum i don't know if other people didn't feel they needed to do that but i think behind the scenes we were getting a lot of a lot of nice endorsements from clubs and 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 we're working at places that um you know like la country club Wingfoot, uh, you know and these are all primary renovation restoration projects just because of the scope of the economy mm. and and you know we are necessarily we're an intentionally small firm so we can't take on 15 or 20 projects so we were hesitant to even get involved in asia etc so i think it you know, amongst the industry insiders if you will we were always highly regarded um but it was never important for us to to be highly regarded in in the newspapers or magazines etc I mean, don't get me wrong. It's nice hmm. now that this is, is coming our way, um, but it it wasn't uh, high on our list. You know, our list was let's try and find places where we can do exceptional work uh, with opportunities, whether they're renovation, restoration, or or new golf courses, and then let's find opportunities where we can have fun doing it. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's really the two primary things. Not let's find opportunities where we can you know make the most money, or let's find opportunities where we can uh, get the most publicity. You sound, you sound a lot like Bill Corr, I must say. I've only interviewed Bill once, had a very good chat with him one day, and he's he's very similar sort of mindset to what you've just talked about there. And it was interesting that they didn't put their hand up for this job, Gil. Do you feel, you mentioned Corr, you mentioned Doke, you mentioned Mike Clayton. Do you feel like you're part of a sort of a movement? This I know it's been called minimalist, and I know that some people have bristled at that notion that, you know, it's misnamed, but I think everyone understands the, you know, the, the, the concept people are trying to get at there. Do you feel like you're part of a bit of a movement? It seems to me we've... We, we we have got a bit of a movement going. The Barnboogle Juneses and the the Sandhills and the you know these types of golf courses which we didn't build for a long time. Yeah, I don't think it's it's certainly not an accident that that all of the most highly regarded golf courses in the in the past two decades are you know have been built by sort of you know Bill and Ben and Tom primarily um, and you know and us in a much smaller role and, and Mike Clayton as well and you know Mike DeVries there are guys out there that do really quality work but I think again it, it gets back to that whole design build philosophy and 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 I mean that's ultimately uh, you know when I 
when I went into the American Society of Golf Course Architects, I had a member once come up to me and say, you're one of those dirt guys, uh, you know, and and I think the dirt guys all just sort of were, were much more low-key. Um, you know, we like to have a laugh. We like to have a good time. You're You're out on site, you know, 12 hours a day knocking back dust and you know at the end of the day you just want to have a beer and and have a good laugh with with the guys that are out there with you and i think that mentality translates not only um, into a passion for for what we do but i think you know that sense of humor or that enjoyment i think comes through in the golf courses now granted you, you know you're also working with the best sites that have been given to golf architects in the world but I think the reason those sites have come to Tom and Bill and Ben and, and now to us is, is because of that, you know, there's the recognition that the, we're doing something right. And, and you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that you know, other people have written, and it's not for me to say, you know, how important this, this commission is, but I'm hopeful that if it gives us a chance to sort of show off this methodology to a much bigger audience, that that's a good thing for the, for the dirt architects. Mm. What about some of the sustainability things, Gil? I mean, uh, Jeff touched on it before, you know, that uh, Brazil are, uh, are very forward-thinking in this sort of way. I mean, those elements are important. I mean, golf has its critics, and in a lot of cases, rightly so. There are many, many golf courses in the world that are not particularly environmentally friendly. It doesn't need to be that way, does it? What sorts of things have you got in mind for Brazil in that way, leaving aside the golf and the entertainment value of what happens at the Olympics? What sort of things can we teach the world with this golf course, perhaps? Well, I think it was one of the requirements of, of, of Rio 2016 to either embrace the Audubon uh, program or GEO. Um, so those are sort of base guidelines that were given to all eight of us. Um, as part of our team, Owen Larkin and, and you know, Jeff Carlson and Frank Rossi have sort of, I, th- I think, taken that to another level. And um, the thing that I like about what, what they've mentioned is they, they call it, you know, the pragmatic environmentalists, which... You know, they, they realize that, listen, we need to do the best thing for the, for the earth, for the environment, et cetera. But if we do that and it, and it basically destroys the opportunity to operate a golf course, then what have you accomplished? What's the point? You know, ultimately this, you have to have the playing grounds for a game maintained to a certain level, whatever that requirement is. It can certainly be done in an environmentally friendly way, but at the end, of, there has to be a compromise between the two, and I think that that pragmatic approach that Owen and, and the guys brought to the table, I think, resonated with with the committee there. And then, you know, they, they will eventually merge all of that with the guidelines set forth by uh, GEO uh, for sustainable golf course development. And I think I think that should eventually be a really big part of the story. Um, you know, right now it's all about architecture, et cetera. But I think you know, for the long term. When people look back at this project, hopefully we've created something that will have been dramatic uh, for the game of golf in the Olympics. We'll have shown a very natural-looking golf course, but I think longer term it will be hopefully a model for for how you build these courses and have them be sustainable. Thank you. Okay, just quick, yeah. uh, Rodney. I want to ask quickly on this. You know, at uh, at the golf industry show, you you left, but they on Saturday they had a Pinehurst presentation. And they talked about how the golf course has basically gone now to a single row of irrigation heads up the middle of the fairway. So it went from 1,100 to 400, uh, which you know I've got to think is just a stunning difference in in so many different ways, but mostly cost and water wasted. Do you think is this golf course going to have? Is your hope to almost have that kind of 
feel of, of like going back to the old style courses where there's just a, a row up the center and uh, and then it just kind of bleeds out to sandy sand belt like roughs and and uh, I mean that's that's a big part of the sustainability factor I would think. Yeah, I think I mean we haven't gotten that far down the road with respects to that and how that you know, we had to submit an irrigation design as part of the requirements, but that will obviously be refined as we go forward. You know, there and there are two schools of thought on it. There's the one that's certainly that much more minimal control and and much more random <clears throat> pattern. Uh, then there's the other school of thought that if we give a higher level of control and more pinpoint accuracy, you know, mm. in essence, you're almost putting more heads out on the golf course, but you're allowing them to spray in a, a more efficient pattern and not hit or impact those areas, that that could be a school of thought that would maybe yield mm. the best results down there. So, you know, we're going to explore and, and do the best that we possibly can. One of the things that, you know, was part of our um proposal was to, to look at ways of capturing stormwater runoff from adjacent properties, um, utilizing that, filtering it, and then putting it into the irrigation um, pond. So we're going to do an awful lot with water management and, and, and try and figure out, but you're absolutely right, the, the ultimate goal is from a presentation standpoint to have the playable areas maintained to, to a high level, but to let the outside areas really just get crispy and brown. Mm. And Rod, one quick thing, you know, the, the comparison to Bill Core is the highest compliment you could give me, and I mean that sincerely. He is, he's the best. He's just fantastic. And um, one I of the nicest him, but He's a lot older than I am, but he's, he's still he's yeah. a great guy, <laughs> a true gentleman. One of the nicest blokes I think I've ever encountered. I must say, I was yeah. uh, I was quite awestruck with um, just how approachable and uh, and what a, a nice bloke he was. Speaking of that, Gil, this is something I wanted to ask you. What is the greatest compliment somebody can pay one of your golf courses? What's the thing you like to hear people most say when they walk off one of your courses? Uh, you know, the, the, the two things we like to hear are, um, you know, it looks like it's always been there. Uh, you know, that's a great compliment on the look and the style and the feel and how we've been able to sort of marry the golf course with, with the surrounding landscape. And then uh, probably the highest compliment is, that was a fun golf course to play. I had fun out there. And and that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's supposed to be about. You know, you're supposed to go out and have fun and enjoy yourself instead of getting beat up all the time. So I think those are the the highest compliments we can get. And the, and the third one is, of course, is that a core course? Is that the third one? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I thought it was Bill and Ben. <laughs> and Rod, Rod, you'd be amazed how many times Gil and I, uh, when Rustic Canyon was completed, and I'm sure Gil's gotten it with other courses, how many times people would they would say, <clears throat> kind of reluctantly? Well, it, you know, it was fun. It, it was fun to play, and but they they almost felt like they were insulting <laughs> us with that. That we want to hear them say it's hard and it's it's boy they should have tournaments there or uh, whatever it is, and and you just think, oh my lord, the game is really in trouble. <laughs> If people are, are, are embarrassed to, to tell you that it was fun. Ashamed to uh, admit that they had a good time for their 150 oh. <laughs> Amazing. What a, what a world we live in. Well, I must say, Gil, I do fear for you. You sound far too nice and have far too much common sense to survive this whole Olympic uh, debacle <laughs> that's probably about to beset you, but I wish you all the best. I'm sure you'll handle it with aplomb, and I'm sure you'll learn a bunch of stuff about politics that, A, you didn't think you needed to know, and, B, you'll probably never use again, but it'll be... <laughs> It'll be interesting well, while you're you. about it. 
And, uh, yeah, look, fantastic for you to take some time to chat to us today, mate. Really appreciate it. Absolutely happy. I, I enjoy what you guys do. I really do. And I think it's, it's, it's a great message to have out there. And hopefully, uh, as we go through the process, you'll have me back on uh, occasionally to talk about it. If you've got time and if you're allowed, Gil, there'll be the two, the, uh, <laughs> the two determining factors there. And, uh, if you're allowed to and you've got time, we'd love to have you back. Been great to have you today. And thank you too also, Jeff Shackelford. Always wonderful to talk to you too, mate. All right. Thank you. Yes, a pretty happy and one suspects, rightfully so, a pretty proud Gil Hands there, winner of that design competition to lay out the golf course for the 2016 Games in Rio. We will try to catch up with Gil fairly regularly over the next four years, time and, of course, politics permitting, as I said at the end there. It'll be really interesting to watch how that project unfolds. And that is it for State of the Game this week. Thanks for tuning in. Do hope that you've enjoyed it. We'll be back again with another episode in the next two weeks. We'll be talking more of State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.